Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Later this morning, Governor Gavin Newsom is expected to announce that all California teachers and school employees will be required to be vaccinated or submit to regular COVID-19 testing. The news was first reported by Politico. California would become the first state in the country to make this a requirement for school employees. During an event on school reopenings last week in San Bernardino County, the governor talked about the importance of vaccinations when it comes to schools. We can take these masks off once and for all. Those that are unvaccinated need to get vaccinated. That way we can keep our kids without any stress or anxiety back in person throughout the school year. And political reports that two major teachers unions in the state, the California Teachers Association and California Federation of Teachers, support the plan. And just yesterday, four large school districts, San Francisco, Oakland, Sacramento and Long Beach, announced similar vaccination or testing requirements for teachers and staff. And in other news, California could get billions of dollars to fight wildfires and drought from the $1 trillion infrastructure bill approved by the U.S. Senate yesterday. KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos has more. The bipartisan bill, which still needs House approval, will invest billions of dollars across the U.S. into roads and bridges, public transit, and broadband access. But it also includes funding for key programs in California, including money to boost salaries for federal firefighters and to prevent wildfires by putting power lines underground and fireproofing homes. There's also more than $8 billion earmarked for water programs, including storage, recycling and environmental restoration and $500 billion for dam safety, much of which will benefit California. The House is not expected to take up the measure until it's also ready to consider a separate $3.5 trillion budget bill that will address climate change, health, and education. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. Consider this number. Women make up only about 2% of skilled construction workers in California. We're talking jobs like plumbers, carpenters, electricians, and that 2% figure is actually less than it was a few decades ago. Why have women made so little progress getting good-paying blue-collar jobs? Well, from KPCC here in Southern California, reporter Jill Replegal wanted to find out. The morning workout for six women hoping to break into construction looks uncomfortable. They're in jeans, long sleeve shirts, and work boots, doing squats while curling 30-pound cinder blocks. Here we go. One. This pre-apprenticeship training program in East Los Angeles is put on by the nonprofit Winter. That stands for Women in Non-Traditional Employment Roles. It's one of just a few programs across the U.S. that specifically helps women prepare for construction apprenticeships. 
These apprenticeships can lead to good-paying union jobs. For example, some plumbers in Los Angeles finish their apprenticeship making nearly $49 an hour. The winter training is free, and it's intense. To get these women ready for a physically demanding job that's competitive and overwhelmingly dominated by men. Getting into an apprenticeship can be a long road and not necessarily a welcoming one for women. Retired electrician Meg Vasey knows firsthand. They insisted upon calling me Brother Vasey because it was the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, so there were no sisters. Vasey joined the union in 1981, and she says she was one of just eight women out of about a thousand men in her Northern California local. She now runs a training and advocacy organization called Tradeswomen, Inc. I was told all the time that I was taking a man's job and that I had no right to be there. When I walked into my job site and opened up the game box where all the tools were, there would be big hustler displays. Vasey thinks she never would have even gotten interviewed for the apprenticeship if it weren't for a federal directive that set goals for government building contractors to increase the number of women employees. The national goal was for women to work 6.9 percent of all hours worked on federal job sites. That's still the goal, but we've never even gotten close. Vasey says there are likely multiple reasons for this. I do think there's not enough women who know about this work. Vasey says there's also implicit bias among employers and Prop 209. That's the California initiative that voters passed in 1996 that prohibited affirmative action in public employment, contracting, and education. Vasey and others say, as it stands, getting into a skilled trade is almost like a family secret. Friends, brothers, and in-laws. Those are the men who get in as well on a regular basis into construction. Pre-apprenticeship programs like Winter provide a way around that, especially for women and people of color. The six women in this cohort range from 24 to 52 years old. There's a photographer whose work dried up during the pandemic, a host at an Outback Steakhouse. Diana Lantan is 31. She currently works as a server at a bar to pay the bills for her and her 11-year-old daughter. Lantan says she's always been a tinkerer. Me for my birthdays and like especially like Christmas, people always laugh at me because when I have like my list of what I want, I'm like, tools. 33-year-old Janelle Herrera works as a project manager in telecommunications, and after being laid off twice in the last four years, she hopes a union job in construction will be more stable. I don't want to have to worry, how am I going to help my kids? The ultimate goal is to land an apprenticeship and become a journeywoman. That comes with benefits and among the best salaries you can earn without a high school diploma. President Biden says he wants to strengthen the apprenticeship pipeline for women and people of color. And California has new funding through the 2017 gas tax aimed at getting more women into pre-apprenticeship programs like winter. After decades of minimal progress getting women into the trades, Vasey, the former electrician, says she now sees more hope than she has in a long time. For The California Report, I'm Jill Replogle in East Los Angeles. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. The Dixie Fire has now burned more than 500,000 acres across Plumas, Butte, Lassen, and Tehama counties. But crews are starting to get a better handle on the massive blaze. Containment is now up to 30 percent, and all evacuation orders in Butte County were reduced to evacuation warnings yesterday afternoon. Cal Fire Captain Brian Newman says they're still seeing some spotting, but it's not as extreme as before. We had growth to the northwest, we had growth to the southeast, and off to the northeast as well. All of that is driven by the the fuels and the topography with really light winds that is being driven and steered by that topography. The forecast for today calls for more smoke over much of the fire zone, meaning some areas will see much cooler temperatures. But temperatures are expected to rise and humidity will fall in the coming days. Overall, the fire has destroyed more than a thousand structures, including hundreds of homes. Meanwhile, the Butte County District Attorney is investigating whether a drone that reportedly interfered with firefighting aircraft in the crucial first hours of the Dixie Fire was operated by Pacific Gas and Electric or one of its contractors. District Attorney Mike Ramsey says the drone flying over the fire on July 13th may have prevented Cal Fire aircraft from stopping the blaze when it had just burned an acre or two. In other news, Kern County, the center of California's petroleum industry, is suing the state over the governor's fracking ban. Calling the ban overzealous, reckless, and unconstitutional, the Board of Supervisors voted yesterday afternoon to authorize the lawsuit. Here's Supervisor Philip Peters. Today, in closed session, the Kern County Board of Supervisors voted 4-1 to one with Supervisor Perez voting no to authorize a lawsuit against the state of California for Governor Newsom's recent unilateral decisions to violate the Constitution by directing state agencies to stop implementing legislation directing the safe and environmentally protective production of oil and gas resources in the state of California and principally here in Kern County. The time for talk appears to be over based on the governor's recent actions. The time for our county's response is now. Peter says the region would be devastated without the oil industry. Statewide, the industry employs about 152,000 people and is responsible for more than $152 billion in economic output, according to a 2019 study. Governor Newsom announced the fracking ban in April, saying California needs to move beyond oil to create a healthier future. Newsom's office has not responded to requests for comment on the lawsuit. 
An activist in far northern California's Siskiyou County is recovering after holding a hunger strike for nearly three weeks. As we hear from the California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin, the protest started after police shot and killed a Hmong man during a wildfire evacuation in June. Shangleng Kao He was evacuating the lava fire when police shot him. Officers say they fired when He ignored a roadblock and pointed a gun at them. Activist Zerg Zong initiated his strike because he wanted transparency from law enforcement on the circumstances surrounding He's death. The whole purpose of this movement, the whole purpose of this hunger strike was just for the truth. Uh, we weren't demanding the immediate arrest and criminalization of the police officers involved. We weren't demanding an entire uh, mobilization against Siskiyou County government. We wanted the truth. In Siskiyou County, Hmong cannabis farmers in particular have complained for years about discrimination by law enforcement. And Zong says this shooting was a breaking point. Now that a lot of the uh, police nationally are being held accountable for a lot of the egregious excessive use of force and uh, discriminatory police tactics, we want that to happen in Siskiyou County as well. Siskiyou County Sheriff Jeremiah LaRue has told local press that video footage of the incident will not be released until an investigation is completed. Zong ended his strike on July 23rd after the state attorney general's office agreed to review requests to investigate the shooting. In an emailed statement, the AG's office told the California Report that AG involvement in this case will likely only occur in an exceptional circumstance, like a conflict of interest on the part of local law enforcement. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. The State Department of Justice says it will investigate and review a case in which a Tustin police officer in Orange County fatally shot a man this week. The incident occurred on Monday morning after officers responded to a report of a suspicious person near a home. Police have said the man was advancing on officers when he was shot and killed. The DOJ's authority to investigate cases like these falls under a law that went into effect July 1st, allowing the department to review police shootings involving unarmed people for potential criminal liability. Tustin police say they will cooperate with an independent investigation. The Bay Area city of Pleasanton will pay nearly $6 million to the family of Jacob Bauer, who died after being tased, punched, and restrained by several city police officers in 2018. But the settlement is more than financial. In an unusual turn, it requires the chief of police to attend a listening session with the Bauer family. Bauer had struggled with mental illness. His parents had notified the Pleasanton Police Department of their son's condition out of concern he would be hurt or killed if he encountered law enforcement. They hope the department will hear their concerns and, according to their lawyer, change how it approaches people with mental illnesses. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, August 11th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a good day.
I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.